Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Terminal Velocity. It's Die Hard in a skydiving spy caper. What a mouthful. <laughs> lot going on in there. We're having the... to perform increasing levels of gymnastics to It's almost like we're skydiving the... <laughs> to figure out where we are in the show. Crowbar in these Die Hard on a Blanks. Well, you know, it's getting further and further afield. How you doing, Phil? I'm very good. I'm very excited to talk about this movie with our special guest, Rob Hackett, who is a friend of mine. He's a producer for James Wan's company, Atomic Monster, and uh, just a, a fellow cinephile with a lot to say about Die Hard and a lot to say about this movie. Welcome to the show, Rob. Oh, thanks, guys, for having hey, me. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How's you know? your Wednesday? Uh, it's better now that I get Ooh, to talk about Terminal Velocity. Come so on. charming. Yeah, it's better now. <laughs> So let's let's dive in with the burning question, and I I know that you've got some really really interesting stuff to Do say you about skydive and how often. <laughs> Rob, what's your personal history with Die Hard? It it's a long one. When I was six years old, I saw it at a friend's house, and it was one of those houses where anything goes, you know. And I, I remember my friend's mom rented it for him and his older sisters, and I was over there, and they put it on. And I was just, it was like a lightning bolt struck me. And I, I literally came online. And I had no idea, and I didn't have a vocabulary for what I was watching. Right. But it literally imprinted on me. And I've now literally spent the majority of my life and my career kind of trying to unpack why it had such an influence on me. And anyway, it had such an influence on me that my, uh, I've, I have a four-year-old daughter, and her middle name is McLean. And, uh, and so, which was Phil, your move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, the funny story about that is my, uh, one of our twins, name is also, her middle name is McAllister because my wife's favorite movie is Home Alone. Oh. Which by the way is. Die Hard in a Christmas movie. In more ways than, I mean, it is the same movie, right? Yeah. So, but anyway, and in packing it, the thing I sort of realized is at a young age, you know, we're all looking for sort of a way to relate to our parents and our parents with us. And when my parents discovered that I had seen the movie, like rather than shame me or discipline me, my dad especially was like, he kind of nurtured my interest in the movie yeah. and it became a thing that we could talk about. And as I got older, you guys have literally covered up to this point, pretty much every movie my dad and I saw in the theater and it became kind of a common language. Target audience. That's, that's yeah. right. That's right. And so... Like ever since then, I've just like, it's just been something I've been trying to, I've sort of been chasing because it had such an influence on me. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's very relatable. I mean, I think my dad showed me Die Hard. Yeah, there you go. 
because it was inappropriately, but he was like, yeah, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> it was like a rite of passage, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It had that quality Did too. you guys go and see Terminal Velocity together, you and your we dad? did. Yeah, I remember specifically opening night. You know, I'd seen the trailer, which by the way, the movie has an incredible trailer. And I remember we saw it and I was doing that thing. I mean, I would have been 10 or 11 at the time. I did the thing where I sat in front of my parents. So I remember I went with my mom and my dad and I sat in front of them. And but I remember the audience was full that night, and people just ate the movie up. Oh, huh. that's the best! Yeah, I remember. I remember vividly my experience of watching the movie, and I was like, it just delivered on everything I didn't even know I wanted. I was like, parachutes, check. Ejecting out of rocket, inexplicable rocket cars, <laughs> check. I was like, where did all this come <laughs> from? James Gandolfini <laughs> doing a New Jersey and Russian <laughs> accent, check. check. Yeah, exactly, uh, classic. Phil, what's your relationship with? Terminal Velocity. You know, I'm coming to it fairly fresh because I watched it Only as... seen it 20 times. No, 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 not at all. I'd actually only seen it once. Yeah. Uh, half of it as a kid. Um, we'd rented it. I'll tell the story. We might, we might have to cut this out. So the true story is I was at a buddy of mine's house and uh, we, we were, I don't know, like mid-teens when this movie came out, something like that. And we rented the movie. And his older sister's boyfriend bought us alcohol for the first time. <laughs> so the second half of the Stop movie recording. was not watched. <laughs> basically, basically because we discovered the joys of an alcohol pop called Hooch that we were too I young to be drinking. Listening to this sentence, <laughs> and we, you know, our interest went in another direction. So I'd actually never see. I'd only got up to the point where Gandolfini showed up, okay. and so the rest of the movie was a mystery to me. So it was fun to come at it come at it fresh today. Did you see this one when it? No, when I just it, saw it for the first time two nights ago. Um, I vaguely remember it. You know, I had a picky father. I feel like there were like people on his list of like, I'm not watching their movies. And I don't think Charlie Sheen was on it, but I just, I don't know. It like mm. passed us by. It's 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 fair to remember this is 1994 and like there's a banger every few weeks. Yeah. So yeah. I just it never. The but ball I, was high. I yeah. do remember the VHS tape in the action section of the video store. Yeah. Very, very clearly. So I was glad to, I was glad to check it out when I did the other night for this podcast. Uh, Phil, can we get some facts, some fast facts, some top-line facts about the film Terminal Velocity? So uh, this movie had its wide release on September 23rd of 1994, um, which was approximately six weeks after our last film, Clear and Present Danger. Uh, now six years after Die Hard. It was an original screenplay by David Twoey, uh, who we mentioned previously because he was uh, one of the writers on The Fugitive and went on to do a lot of very interesting work, which we'll talk about. It was directed by Darren Serafian. It stars Charlie Sheen, Natasha Kinski, James Gandolfini, and Christopher McDonald. And on an estimated budget of $50 million, it grossed $47 million. Hmm. I have a question. How the fuck did this movie cost fifty million dollars if speed cost thirty-five? Someone explain that to me. Mm, yeah. Cars aren't cheap, and having them fall out of airplanes is expensive. I don't know. I honestly cannot like explain how this movie cost that. I was I was actually trying to work it out. Like, how much would you have spent on talent? Five million, maybe. We know what like Keanu got for speed, right? Which was a million. We talked about it in the speed episode. Sandra Bullock got four hundred thousand. Maximum this cast is costing. Like, let's even say ten. Hmm. And ten million for the stunt at the end. Where did the rest of the money go? Mm. I don't. And there's no I, cast in this movie. There's only like ten speaking. Yeah, parts. I was actually thinking it's, at some point like there's kind of a bare minimum of people. In this. Yeah, like when they're in that power plant, or like they, they, when they're in that. And like I was like, there's like th- four people here. Like it actually feels sparse. 
Rob, you're a producer. Me. Explain that. <laughs> <laughs> I think shooting in Arizona was probably expensive. Okay. I think you're probably Why? you're probably importing crew uh, and you're housing a lot of people there. Okay. And I do think one of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about the movie is so much of it is in camera. Like it is uh, a very practical based movie. That stuff costs a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, it costs a lot of money. You're building a lot of things. Those stunts, they did – I mean I know – they did a ton of that aerial work there mm-hmm. in Arizona. It was, you know, I, that stuff costs money. We should say each episode of the show costs $4.5 million to produce. <laughs> Just so, uh, my salary. But, <laughs> but, Phil, you're not wrong. Like, if you have those the line of, talent. If you have those marquee names, like, you have to Phil, question these, whether you're spending that. These t-shirts Phil buys, you know, they don't, they, they <laughs> don't cost for themselves. Yeah, exactly. This uh, Drive t-shirt costs $8 million. Now, Rob, you've... You've worked with this filmmaker on uh, Swamp Thing. Is that right? That's right, um, yeah. Can you, what's your read on him? Because he's an interesting figure with a quite an interesting Hollywood lineage, yeah, right? Yeah, fascinating guy. And, you know, Darren's dad was Richard Serafian, who directed Vanishing Point, which, you know, I think Ooh. Yeah, everybody out here sort of has a touchstone for that movie. And his uncle is Robert Altman. And so, yeah. And so he his was- His uncle is Robert Altman? His uncle is Robert Altman. Wow. Yeah. And so he grew up on these sets. He traveled with his dad when his dad was making movies. And, you know, his brothers, like, they were all raised in Hollywood. Did his dad work on any of the Almond movies? I don't... He acted in them. Oh, okay. His dad was a director and an actor. You've, wow. I'm sure which you've one seen was, him Yeah. What, which ones... Do you know which ones he... I'm a big Altman I'd, guy. I'd have, to, I'd have to go back and look. But yeah. you would recognize his father. McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Die Hard on a Snowy Reservation. Yeah. <laughs> We'll put it on the maybe pile. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's like he... My my ideas aren't supported here. (laughs) (laughs) He, you know, he had a lot of exposure, like... You know, Darren would tell me stories about, you know, being a PA on the original Halloween. Wow. When they were shooting in Pasadena. Yeah. You know, and he actually told me he was a camera assistant on the original Die Hard. And he was telling me stories about being on the roof of the building when they had the helicopters flying around and how sort of intense and scary the experience was. And, you know, he was just like, he really cut his teeth as like a... You know, forgive me, Darren, but a, a sort of a he was directing a lot of Italian schlock, uh-huh. and he was a, also acting in some of these like crazy zombie knockoffs in the late '80s. Wow! And he gets this crazy. Junk. I should write a book. Yeah, he should write a book. Fascinating dude. Yeah, and he does. He does Death Warrant, the Sean Claude Van Damme movie, which is you know mm. was a success. Yeah, and he made it for nothing, and it's actually very impressively directed. That's why he got fifty million for this movie. He was like, I have to make up for it on Death well, Warrant. Well, I think we can, and I think Darren would be honest about this. Like, you know, my guess is he was not the first choice to direct this movie, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was an expensive spec sale, you know. Well, I gather that at one point Kevin Reynolds was circling the project or was attached and they were trying to get Tom Cruise for the lead. And there was some difficulty casting the part, which we'll talk about when we get to that section. But as you've just brought up Darren Serafian's connection to Die Hard, that brings us rather elegantly to... (laughs) Die Hard DNA. (laughs) So... Please feel free to add any more if you spot any connections between the two movies. That's a great one right off off the top. I had slick European bad guys. You know, we always enjoy them in a slick 90s action movie. Slick is an interesting word to use to describe James Gandolfini in, as a <laughs> well, as a Russian. I was thinking more Christopher McDonald, who mm. I, I kind of dig his vibe. Like, yeah. the, I like the blonde hair. He's, yeah. You, know, you a actually bit of dyed cold. your hair blonde to I, I record did. this podcast. It's yeah. an interesting choice. I would have thought you'd appreciated that because the he's obviously Mr. Joshua in this that's movie. Yes. yes. Oh, that's yes. true. He is Good. Mr. Joshua. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Goddamn Christmas! <laughs> you, need, you need a bleach blonde henchman in an right. 80s or 90s action movie. So... Um, yeah, there's that. It has the same editor as Die Hard, Frank J. Urosti, a legendary editor. The same DP as Die Hard 2, Oliver Wood. Rest in peace. Um, passed away yeah, recently. Recently, recently. He shot Face him. Off as well, didn't he? Is that right? I think I'd he did. Che- I'd have to check. 
it, it also, speaking of Oliver Wood, it features a recreation of the iconic ejector seat shot from Die Hard 2 in the scene where they um, jump out of the rocket car. Um, so I, I almost wonder if, I mean, that must have been part of the thinking of why he was hired. And it begins with that shot with the 747 that's very right. Die Hard 2. And, and when I was watching it, and because I, I wasn't sure how much Die Hard DNA there was in this movie. And I was when I listened to the score, I was like, "Oh, great! It's Michael Kamen." And then, and then I was, "Oh no, hang on a minute! It, is it Alan Silvestri?" It sounds and so neither, much like Lethal it, Weapon. It's exactly crazy how much it sounds, especially the desert the stuff desert in Lethal stuff, Weapon. Exactly. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is a desert that stream set movie. part that just kind of keeps going. And, and yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. It's, it, but it's actually composed by Joel McNeely. Um, any other diehard DNA? And that, one thing, just to say, I think you know Arizona was chosen. I'll. You probably know. If, a lot of Die Hard 2 was shot in the desert, in the Mojave Desert. All the plane miniature and the airport miniature stuff were shot. In Die Hard 2. In Die Hard oh. Part 2. And so, and there was even shots I was wondering if they literally stole them from Die Hard 2 with some of the planes landing. I was like, I went back to watch Die Hard 2 to see if they just pulled the shots. They didn't. But I have a feeling that's why mm. he was chosen, is he has so much experience with that stuff. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So there, even though, again, it's one of those ones where on face value, you might be thinking, well, this is kind of a stretch, but put it under the microscope. And the diehard DNA is always there. It's always there. there. Um, Let's take a quick break and then we'll dive into our next section Anatomy of an Action Movie, and we'll unpack this bad boy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We're back with our section, Anatomy of an Action Movie, where we list the tenants. We, we, live, we live in a Twilight, Twilight world, world, and there are no friends at death. <laughs> of the action movie, we're talking about Terminal Velocity. Phil, yes. will you take us through the premise? Yes. So here's what I've got for the premise, which I did remember to write down this week after my snafu on True Lies. Um, after a mysterious woman named Chris Ooh. Morrow, brackets, Natasha Kinski. Is it Natasha or Natasha? How should I say it? It's It's Natasha. I don't know how to say it. All right, I'll do do my best. Seemingly falls to her death during an attempted tandem parachute jump, daredevil skydiver Ditch Brody, brackets Charlie Sheen, is deemed to be responsible. When Ditch begins his own investigation into what really happened, he finds himself plunged into a deadly world of international espionage, where nothing is what it seems. (gasps) I just, I just real quick, I can imagine they're about to roll and they're like, David, we really need a name for uh, Charlie Sheen in this movie. And he looks and he sees a ditch and he's like, ah, uh, ditch. And then he looks and sees a poster for Jaws and he's like, Brody, Ditch Brody. His name is Ditch Brody. I like, I like a weird, I like a weird character name. Such a, bit a of 90s action I, I movie it. name. Oh my goodness. Um, I dig ditch. Get, Get it? <laughs> I just, I'm just hanging myself. Um, uh, right, moving on. Central population, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> 
Um, Rob, you're a fan of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, you could call me that. Yeah. How many times have you seen it? I've probably seen it 30 or 40 times. It's one Whoa. of my comfort movies. Wow. Okay. Everyone, you know, so what is it about Terminal Velocity that, that does it for you? You know, it's sort of gleefully absurd. Uh-huh. Like, the movie doesn't take itself too seriously. Yes. And so I find it easier to sink into a movie like that, especially if you've seen it many times. Mm-hmm. It's, there's there's different levels to the experience, right? Once you get past sort of the visceral quality of it, you're just like, oh, I can laugh at the stupidity of the characters or just the absurdity of where the plot goes. Mm-hmm. And I, I just find the movie incredibly watchable. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So no, it's a comfort sure. blanket movie for you. One, you saw, Obviously, you mentioned you saw it growing up and you've had that sort of longstanding attachment to it. Do you get something new out of it when you, as you've watched it more and more times? Or is it just more like this is just uh, something I, I, there's a nostalgic warm and fuzziness to it? or It's definitely that. And I do, there is something that you get new out of it every time as sort of my awareness and my understanding of, you know, filmmaking kind of becomes more and more mature. And I do feel like on some level, the movie was fairly groundbreaking, though underappreciated for some of the things that it was doing. You know, I think it's, you know, first and foremost, I think on a technical level, it's pr- very impressive. Mm-hmm. Even when I was watching it the other night in preparation for this, I was like, man, this is extremely well put together. Yeah, I agree. It's just very slick. Um, and a lot of that is a credit to, you know, some of the names you've read off, in, in, mm-hmm. including Darren and that budget. Um, and I also, <laughs> and, and but I also think there's, it's challenging certain paradigms of movies that I really grew up loving. Like, First, beyond Die Hard, Romancing the Stone. Yeah. I love yeah. Romancing yeah. the yeah. Stone. Yeah, I think it's literally taking that movie it's a great shout. and yeah. flipping the, the the sort of traditional gender roles of genre filmmaking up to that point. And she's like, you know, driving the car for most of this movie. And that was extremely rare. Yeah. You know, and I don't think you saw it again until, I'm sure you guys are covering it, Long Kiss Goodnight, which this movie Whoa. really resembles. Yeah, Whoa, interesting. Love That's Long really Kiss interesting. Goodnight. I mean, you know, I... Uh, I mentioned during the True Lies episode that I have, I struggle a bit with light-hearted spy capers. Phil can't you know? have fun, you guys. <laughs> That's right. It's not the Philly special and to have it, a good well, time. Yeah, so this is this is not necessarily my, my cup of tea because it's more... Um, as I said, I like the sort of hot techno real, realism of a spy caper, but you, we, we'll talk about more more about that in the humor section. But what I love when you mentioned, Liam, you put, when you put it through your microscope... That there was a noir vibe yeah. to this. Yeah. That's cool. I, so I was watching this for the first time, and um, like I sort of Phil, I texted Phil at some point, and I was like, I think this movie is great and dumb. And those for two sure. things are like, it, it, something can be great and dumb. Like, there's plenty of dumb things that I love. And for like, sure. you know, there's some great movies that are dumb. True Lies is a pretty dumb, dumb movie, but yeah. it's but it's great. But I one of the things that occurred to me watching this is I, I thought about a couple things from the early 90s. I thought about The Rocketeer. Yeah. Just in the kind of setting and the daredevil and the falling out of the sky, you know. There's that's like a, a great comp. There's a yeah. swashbuckling quality totally. to this that that has. Yeah. I totally see that, and I love that movie. Yeah, me too. It is. It's like a top. I, I, in another world, would be covering it, but yeah. it's not quite, quite a diehard corollary. But also, movies like Red Rock West <laughs> or U-Turn, which is going to come five years later, yeah. and I you can't get Red Rock West anywhere. It's so hard to find. It screens of the which New Beverly like so once bizarre. a year, but. Or regularly. And so I've not seen it maybe since I probably inappropriately saw it in the 90s. Um, And there's this kind of like, and I guess we'll talk about this when we get further into our section, but there's like a film noir quality to this that I think is really, really interesting. Should we just jump right into our our hero? Yeah. Charlie Sheen as uh, Ditch uh, Brody. (laughs) Ditch Brody. Yeah, I mean, it does speak to that, right? Because he, he is 
in narratively, you know, I'd say just bridging this this conversation to the hero, right? He narratively, it's noir. It's not the vibe is not noir. Uh, the vibe is to me is like spy spy movie. But what's yeah. actually happening is a, a sort of dolt who is kind of dull. Uh, in, in a sense, he's dull in the head, right? He's not the he's not the sharpest tool in tool in the box. Gets he receives drawn, an assignment, re- essentially, Meets right? a femme fatale right. and she is drawn him. into a world of intrigue and plays detective right. crudely, right? That that is, that is the definition of a film noir premise, even though this movie vibe-wise feels like something else. But I, I, what, how do we feel about Ditch Brody as a character? Because you had some really interesting yeah. thoughts on that, Rob. Yeah, I mean, he, the, 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 the quickest like sort of comparison I can make is the Jack Burton character from Big Trouble in Little China, where he is... He's essentially the least capable person in the entire story, right? Which I personally, and I think maybe this is something you're bumping up against, but I personally think that makes, that adds a level of tension to the story because he doesn't seem capable, right? Which add, heightens the danger of every scenario that they find themselves in. Um, but I also think it, in, in some ways, makes him super relatable, right? If he was just utterly, you know, the capable. everyman thing again, right? Yeah. It's a little bit of diehard, you yeah. know? Exactly. Totally. Right. Yeah. And I think like, the, the, down to you mentioned the 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 film noir plotting, but down to like he gets he figures out one thing and he ends up at an apartment. And in like classic film noir sense, the the killers are already there and they try to take him out. And that's when he realizes there's like a lot more going on here than I realized, right? Yeah. And he also has this really interesting, very unusual and quite original backstory of that he was an Olympic gymnast oh, with a I bad haircut. I love this, which again I think goes it's to really interesting. Yeah, it flips yeah. the 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 gender roles. You know, it's like he's a gymnast, right? Like that would I think at that time especially would have been a sort of a detail assigned to a female character and it's not here. Though it's we are in that moment of like great American male and female gymnasts, yeah. you know, yeah. like the early 90s. And yeah. so like it it I don't disagree with you. I actually kind of went like, huh, I feel like this is sort of unusual. But then thinking about the early 90s and what we were watching on TV, like when we watched it, and the Olympics were such a big deal yeah. then. Well, what I like about it as well is that it ties it into the real world politics of the uh, U.S. boycott um, and how he was personally sort of a victim of circumstance oh, right. and his, his Olympic dreams were crushed because he wasn't able yeah. to compete in, was it the... 84? Eight, yeah. Is it the 84? I mean, Olympics. you've seen the movie 40 times. I think it is the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was that was And really that crush dreams thing that comes along with being the like PI or the noir yeah, character. You know, yeah. you have to have like a, a past that's turned you into like slightly broken, broken figure. Broken. Yeah. yeah. And I, one thing I do want to say too about uh, that I think is, is actually really unique about the character is he he's a skydiving instructor and that plays such a vital role to him getting in and out of trouble. And a lot of the movies that, you know, I love, like, it's usually just a general set of skills. Like, these guys, these heroes are ultra capable. They're just badasses. He's not. The thing he's good at, skydiving, is the thing that constantly gets him in and out of trouble throughout the movie. Right. And I think the movie's really clever about him escaping from the power plant using skydiving. Right. Helping her at the end of the movie using skydiving. You know, everything is built around this that specific detail. He has character. one thing that he's really good at. Yeah. Right. And he uses that to sort of get him out, get him out of jail. He's also just kind of like everyone looks at him and like Margaret Colin, who's in this movie yeah. for not took, enough time. Took me a minute to like. I love like Margaret Colin. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. She just looks so she's different. About to be uh, an Independence Day, like a year yeah, later yeah. or something yeah. like that. But like she's just kind of like with this guy, and I like like everyone knows he's a joke. Yeah. Like he's kind of a washed up buffoon, like who makes money skydiving incorrectly into what he thinks are bachelorette parties. Yeah. Like and Charlie Sheen. 
is great in this movie. I it's, agree. It's, it's the yeah. most I've... I'm not a huge Charlie Sheen guy. I'll right. be honest. Like your dad, right. I think it sounds like. Yeah, maybe. This is the most appealing he's ever been. Yeah. Like, maybe Platoon and then this. Young Guns. Young, well, Young Guns. Go. Okay, that's Young a good guns. Well, why don't we... Let's, I'd love to have this conversation about Charlie as, a, as an action hero because, you know, there's a line in this film where... And, and this is rather unpleasant, so forgive the misogyny of the line, but uh, Christopher McDonald says, one day this bitch is going to run out of lives. And I feel like Charlie Sheen has had nine lives as an actor, right? Started off as sort of teen heartthrob, right. then a serious actor in, in Oscar-winning movies like Platoon, which is probably his best ever work, extraordinary in that film, then then followed up immediately with Wall Street, then um, started doing the spoof comedies and was kind of a goofball in, in films like Hot Shots or Me, uh, Men at Work with his brother. I love Men at <laughs> Work. Doing those kind, doing those kind of movies. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had a real run as an action star right. with like Navy SEALs, The Rookie, uh, th uh, this movie and The Chase. And was I mean, he was even- Oh, um, The Chase. Like w was was one of the studio's first choices for Speed, which we talked about in, in that episode, oh, which right. kind of showed you where Hollywood was at that point, where he was at that point. And he kind of carved out his own niche in the action genre. And I always sort of thought, okay, he, he, was, he tends to be quite glib, but I just rewatched The Rookie and he's very good in that, and it's a pretty hardcore movie. Yeah, the rookie. I watched the rookie last night. It rules. <laughs> the second half of that movie is. It's I, dude, there's I, insane stuff in that it's movie. Really yeah. extreme, like yeah. the shots to the head, and it's like I remember it from being a kid. Oh, it's, and it's, 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 it's nihilistic. Stuck. Raul Julia, baby. Raul Julia, baby. He's yeah. so good in it. Well, the, incredible. I think that's the only movie in history that had a bigger stunt team than an actual cast wow. speaking role cast yeah yeah it's elaborate especially the freeway stuff but how do we feel about charlie as an action hero rob you know, you know i think in this i think because of the level of humor that's designed into this experience like i think he's very good in this movie yeah i don't it's funny watching it in the context of like okay he could have been the lead in speed i was like you know maybe he could have but i think he brings a level of baggage to the at that point even you know just who he was well, in he's his been famous life. for so long yeah. Right? yeah yeah and I think his you know his troubles were already wearing their head then I, in fact I think during the making of the movie they were dealing with some of that stuff and so I think whereas Keanu Reeves just brings that goodwill of like oh man that's the guy I want saving the cat from my tree like I right. think Charlie Sheen is like I don't know if I want to let this guy into my life absolutely <laughs> I was thinking about that because Keanu has an earnestness. And a sort of he re, he comes across as kind of like decent and professional, especially in that movie. Even if he starts out when he's in the yeah, early the scenes basement. in Jack Traven, he's glib at the start <laughs> of it. Yeah. But as we talked about, goes on a journey to actually being uh, empathetic and and really caring. Whereas Charlie always kind of comes across like everything's a joke. Charlie a is bit. Keanu Reeves in the elevator sequence forever. Right. Like he well he's said. never going to get past the yeah. like imagine him saying, Yeah, the basement. Like you could see him saying that. I was, you, that was yeah. pretty good actually. Yeah. But like he could kinda he could kinda that's about where he is. And and I would say that like this movie doesn't, as much as I enjoy it, it doesn't sell me on his redemption. I mean, beyond the fact that I, the yeah. idea of an American citizen getting an award in <laughs> Russia for bravery in nineteen ninety four is like Maybe more possible than a few years before, but it's like, like I texted Phil. I was like, he gets an award in Russia at the end of this movie, but like it doesn't quite sell it. But I think that's a function of the ever wisecracking Charlie Sheen, and he does have some good acting moments. There was one scene in particular which will bring us to our to our uh, the lady of the film, who's also this sort of co co kind of co hero, um, Natasha Kinski. There's a great scene with her in the bar, which I thought actually got 
kind of honest where they both the, yeah. the sort of personas drop a little bit she talks passionately about like the cold war and the consequences of it and how that will affect him and he's basically checked out by that point it's a classic kind of character turning point of yeah. like i'm not gonna be a hero i'm, he turns I'm done his back before yeah. the third act uh, but he's thing. actually yeah. pretty good in that scene and and she is um you know well she's a very interesting speaking of hollywood lineage yeah right let's move on to our section on the lady and talk about natasha kinski as chris morrow um yeah i mean famous father again very famous father um had been in art house stuff and had been a model. Um, she's playing Russian. She's actually German, right? German Polish. Um, Mother's Polish. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but you know, as we were talking about earlier, wasn't really a had been in Paris, Texas, classic, <sighs> cat people, Amazing cult, movie. cult classic. Um, you know, <laughs> weird movie, um, but not the most obvious choice in in this film. But what what are your thoughts on on her as this I, character? You know, it's interesting. Like. <sighs> I think I kind of said this to you earlier, Phil, when we were talking about it, is I simultaneously think she's in, like just hugely miscast, but also very good mm. in the movie, which is such a weird sort of contradiction, but that's how I feel. Like, you can't, she is so remarkable in Paris, Texas. It's, it is an incredible oh, performance. She's I mean, that movie's amazing. It's an she's amazing. amazing. That scene, the, the monologue towards the end, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's an incredible performance. Yeah. And she, you know that she's capable of these things. And to your point, that scene in the bar in this movie, she makes it work and they actually, they find a rapport there that's mm. believable. But that said, and I don't think this is a, there, I, is there a lot of chemistry between them? I don't know. It kind of flits in and out for me. Yeah. But I fair. do think she's miscast, but I think she's very, actually very convincing in this movie. And I think the physical, the physical quality of the role, I think she actually really sells it. I think she's very good. Yeah, she's good. And she's like. She looks like a movie star. She is like a, for especially in this era of what a movie star is. I sort of wish that this is a bigger thing about the movie. So there's a moment where, in the scene right before where she goes into the photo booth and takes mm. her picture, and I was kind of like, what's she doing? Like, what is this happening? I kind of wish at the end of the movie, it all of the KGB coup stuff was a was a was a lie. Right. Like, I really want. I really want this movie to. I know this. You wanted like, it to I be a, noir. a downer of an ending. Yeah. I really wanted it to be like I tricked you because that feels like it would make the most sense yeah. as opposed to sort of the late stage redemption. Like when Gandolfini uh, stabs her, I was like, "Oh God, we're gonna go for it! Yeah. Like this is gonna get dark." And then you know it doesn't, which is totally. And then, but then, well, a lot of different things to cover there. Like <laughs> it's it's it both is satisfying, but I'm also like I wanted. <laughs> Stupidly, I was like, why can't Terminal Velocity be darker nah. as like a PG-13 movie? Sounds something I would say. Yeah. Is, again, we're, well, we're face-offing again. Yeah. Just, this isn't her, but, you know, the, she has there's the, the, her roommate sort of who dies in the cold open of the movie is super badass. Like, she's kicking everybody's ass in that opening. And I there was part of me that wished that some of those opportunities were, were afforded Natasha Kinski yeah. to literally kick ass. Yeah. Like, and, and by the way, just to speak, I think that opening's incredibly dark. Yeah. Like, the movie doesn't go any darker than that, but I'm like, wow. Shadows of the beginning of Lethal Weapon in that movie. Right, you know? the Especially opening the shot and everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, where does she fit in the evolving 90s landscape of these kick-ass female characters that we're now starting to see? Because... Up until recent times, when female characters have kind of been given short shrift in a lot of these action movies, but we're starting to see the tide turning, right? With Annie in in Speed, played by Sandra Bullock, with uh, Helen Tasker in uh, True Lies. Well, that, that's the most obvious corollary, right? I think, is that she's kind of a Helen Tasker's kind of a badass. What are your thoughts on that? 
I mean, I, you know, it's funny, even looking at the movies you guys have covered up to this point, including True Lies and Speed, but even going back to Narrow Margin, where, like, you have a wonderful actress like Ann Archer, who's really sort of relegated to a backseat role, like, this just shows, shows I think, an evolution mm. uh, of, you know, uh, of what's possible. <laughs> it's sad that this is the state of affairs in 1994, but this is really a juicy role. And it's, you know, it's an opportunity for a woman to really be a marquee name and, you know, marquee role in an action thriller. And I think she's, I think she's really good in it, you know, and I think without this, you know, I mean, I obviously have Thelma and Louise before, right? But without this, I don't know if you get, you know, Gina Davis in Cutthroat Island or Long Kiss Goodnight, you know? Um, obviously mm. Linda Hamilton before this and, 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 uh, and Sigourney Weaver as Ripley, but in terms of this movie, like what you, this kind of paradigm. I guess is, that yeah. makes me wonder like what the like, actual cultural impact of this movie is, right? Because like it doesn't, um, among the films yeah. we've covered, it doesn't feel like the most remembered, but I also no. think speaking to the Hollywoodness, Darren Seraphian of it at all, like yeah. people saw this movie and, and like you saw it opening night and like I think we can't sell short that just because this is such a golden age of action movies like yeah. you know this period that like you can't really sell short the influence of it but but, but it was it feels lost, like a... it's lost in the shuffle of too many superior action films yes. i think That's i would correct. i would say right like it, it's just this was a film that maybe some people saw on video you saw it at the movies but for most people there's just there's too much it there's feels too like many... a video store hit exactly yeah, yeah I mean, or too many even... other bigger better studio movies that are right. just dominating that landscape. Yeah, I mean, imagine being like even me coming on this podcast in the wake of True Lies and, and Speed. And it's like talking about Terminal Velocity in the wake. I mean, those Speed in particular is such a cornerstone of the genre. And, you know, True Lies is right behind it, in my opinion. Like coming out in the wake of those, I don't think anything. Was well, gonna... I think it's funny you say that because it feels like when I saw the date on this, which is 1994, I was like, 94? This feels like a 91, 92 action movie. Like you can feel more sophisticated things happening at the same time. And I have no idea how long this is in development. I have no idea when it was written. Maybe you do. But, like, it does feel, like, a little behind the curve. Like, the mm. tonally to me. It's you also know? interesting that this was part of the trend and maybe one of the first ones of the trend that would continue throughout the 90s when there are two movies about an almost identical subject. Yeah. Right. This being uh, just a couple months, I think, ahead of Drop Zone, uh, which, we will, we will which we will cover, which I saw at the movies and absolutely love. And I have to say, I'm, I'm sorry, Rob, we'll <laughs> <laughs> Duke this out, but I'm team drop zone on this. Yeah, I I'm love gonna, drop I'm gonna get zone. going. Well, I'll see you guys. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, the you thing, can referee, Liam. Yeah, exactly. The, the question I have for you guys, and it's it's funny. Speed might be the the sort of antidote to what I'm suggesting, but if if this had two different leads, two different actors from that era, do you think we're talking about a different success? It's, you know, just I have a thought on mm. that because you know the movie that this was basically remade later and to some extent with with Tom Cruise and. Cameron Diaz as oh, night, night and Day, day. Jinx. which which personally I didn't think worked okay. actually. Me neither. You know um, what happens in that one? Who knows? Very similar. It's she's, lighthearted she's the, spy yeah. shit. You yeah. know, it's just yeah. got no. It's got it's no. Like it's got stuff. no weight to it. Light spy mm. stuff. Um, but to me, like someone, I mean, Cameron Diaz was actually popping off around this time in the mat. If she had played this role, um, that could have. This could have been a. I mean, it'd be and interesting. Nick Cage is maybe no. Ditch Brody. Boom! Now it's a cult oh. classic. Yeah, that's what I was. Right? He was the only name I could. Sorry, I bumped. Yeah, he was the only name I could think of because you're right. There was a very limited amount of people in this age bracket at that time that could carry an action. Movie. Yeah, that's true. It's it's it was now Keanu Reeves, Charlie Sheen, and maybe Nick Cage. I'm just trying to think because they were trying out 
this is what Hollywood do in this era would trial balloon actresses like Christy Swanson in in The Chase, Charlie's like the the, the action movie he made later that year. Yeah. She kind of has a moment and then it doesn't necessarily like launch into the stratosphere, stays around, does some decent work. I think work, the but challenge to come back to the lady with this to is find... who's the person that can cover the the Europeanness of it. And this is an era when it's like, you're European, cool, do a Russian accent. Uh, it's well, fine. Well, Raul Julia is like, playing a German in The in the Rookie. Yeah, right, even though right, Gandolfini's right. playing the Russian in <laughs> I mean, this, so right? that, Well, I was about it, to say. Hollywood's like, almost like, you're, so you're not American? You can play anything yeah, you want, yeah, like yeah, mix and match. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is I think that it, it, it lose, it needs someone like Natasha Kinski in this part because of the Europe, the Russia of it, or that quality. So it's like, you couldn't really replace her with a Cameron Diaz. I would also argue that Cameron Diaz is a little too flat as a performer not like like she kind of has this manic energy with the mask and all these things that like I think this movie needs a kind of like exotically yeah. you know sort of in a, from a Hollywood and, perspective yeah, someone mysterious something and kind mysterious. of exotic about yeah. her like Europeanness that and th- that's a weird contrast with Charlie Sheen because he's so like He's kind of cynical and he's like I was saying he's like cynically earnest yeah. like you don't get a lot of like He's a good actor, don't get me wrong, but like especially as playing Ditch Ditch Brody, you don't he's like there's not like a lot going on behind the hood, which is what part of the the I what think, works but in I the think portrait his of the character. Sort of whole thing is like I have a wall up, right? Yeah, and the wall that's true. is being glib and cynical, but actually underneath it someone's deeply vulnerable. Yeah. And and actually I think totally. that probably echoes maybe who he is in in real life, everything's a, everything's a joke, and you know, right. sort of what it subsequently beca- became national a national event, an international kind of moment, and it it was almost like an extension of that happening in real life. The, the other thing I just I wanted to say, and I, I kind of said this to you, but I think <clears throat> as much as I love the movie, if I were a marketing executive, I think I would be really discouraged because I think the movie has a premise, but it doesn't have a concept, right? Speed has mm. the bus. Oh, uh, Die yeah. Hard has the building. True Lies has uh, My Husband's a Secret Agent. This doesn't have a higher concept. And so when you watch the trailer, which I was watching this morning, well said. it's like you're, it's not entirely clear what it's selling beyond the skydiving action. And I think, and it, it gives away the big reveal that she's faked her death yeah. in the trailer. Yes. So it also almost doesn't have a ticking clock to come back. That's to right. Like it bare, it, well, until it's the plane takes the gold off. Uh, yeah. before who a big like there's bucket no of who momentum cares, right? that, like, that feels right. like it's, it's it's too nebulous, right? It's basically we need to get the gold. Uh, it to be fair, it's we need to get this gold, but to prevent a coup being financed that would destabilize the Russian government and potentially put like uh, people who are hostile to the West in power. But again, th- th- that even even saying that speaks to the convoluted nature that goes against what was hip at that time, which is high concept. There's a bomb on the bus. What do you do? Well, it's you know, just so yeah. really clean, concept clean concepts clean. that are concise and, and like are grabbers. And you know, sometimes like when we think about like the golden age of superhero stuff, like the past few years, like they're playing around and experimenting with things that like are kind of outside of what like most people would consider a superhero movie. Like yeah. you, you train your audience and you make them knowledgeable enough. And I feel like that's happening in this period with action movies from a maybe Demolition Man last action hero on. It's like we can loaded weapon like action movie, but make it a spoof. Right. Like we, we, we we've started we're doing this genre long enough now that we can we can mess around. And this feels like right down the middle which yeah. isn't a bad thing but again it feels like a couple years but it is one of those script when I, I sometimes see this and I'm like oh I get why this script sold for a lot of money like the set pieces you know the trailer well, the moments the action rocks the action rocks and it's like I said it's it, 
it's specific. Like his character has a specific skill set that is used frequently. Like it's, and it's very exciting to look. Yes, at. It's, yeah, yeah. it's lovely, but it is. It's like you guys. There's other. You guys are gonna do the Rock. Even Long Kiss Goodnight has the the amnesia concept. And I, I personally think the concept of this is that she's the she is the real hero of the movie, but the 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 marketing materials and even the movie almost backs away from that at a certain point. Yeah, well said, yeah. Phil. How's your Gandolfini? <laughs> uh, <laughs> can I hear it? It's a <laughs> tough one. Yeah, that that can is. You do your Gandolfini I, I, I don't with know that I, I don't know that I have it, but what I will say is that I love this character's name, Ben Pinkwater. Oh yeah. I actually did remember that from when it came out because that was that, that was just a great. Uh, hey, David, quick! We gotta have a character name for James Gandolfini. Uh, <laughs> he's drinking lemonade. Wasn't a picture of Big Ben? A Ben, <laughs> and then like, yeah, he's a cocktail, pink water. So James Gandolfini plays two characters: Ben Pinkwater in quotes and Stefan. So he's masquerading as a district attorney who is is sort of seems kind of clueless and nerdy. Um, also, kind of a creep. Yeah, like, like maybe a creep. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Trustworthy, a bit slippery, but seems he's playing a sort of low statusy kind of version. He's not like the district attorney that's coming in, like really buttoned up and is like, right. I'm here to bust you. He's weirdly, supposedly on his side. And then he's revealed ultimately to be a Russian gangster, mafioso. But still with a um, New Jersey accent. Called <laughs> Stefan. Like, You're really screwing this up for me. What? Why are you talking? Why are you speaking Russian? Thoughts on this? I love James character. Gandolfini. I think he's great in everything he does. I I think I I think the big discovery of the movie, and it's not a discovery now, but the discovery is Gandolfini. I think he takes this before True Romance. No, it's no, after True Darren, Romance. Yeah. And Serafian told me he cast him because of he's incredible true, in True Romance. In True Romance, yeah. and and a tough scene to play, kills it. And here, I think he's actually there's a scene. Where he and Charlie Sheen are sharing certs with each other. That's the best bit. Would you like And he, (laughs) you're you're pretty much ahead of the movie at that point. That this guy is not what he says he is, and he almost convinces you that you're wrong in that scene because he's so good. He is really good. And uh, and I wish the movie did more with him and his relationship with her. Because it hints at something. Yeah, that yeah. he actually, he really likes her. He respects her uh, a lot. He's possibly in love with her. Um, mm. there, there are there are moments and things that he says about, he says this line to uh, Ditch, like, uh, she's more of a man than you'll ever be. Unpack that. Yeah, I, um, the whole movie's doing this. I mean, yeah. Like, right, I didn't a pick moment, up on that. There's yeah. a movie, a, a bit where he smacks her on the ass and then. She does it back to him later. Like the whole movie is playing with the gender. It's conscious of this gender role. And that line literally just punctuates it, which yeah. is she's more of a man than you ever will be. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's it's an interesting, it's an interesting performance. I think it's it's hard for us because I can't turn the clock back and remember like n- when Gandolfini was a discovery, right? Like I, I, don't, I don't know when you saw it. Do you remember if you were, were you taken in by it when you first saw it? Because now we have all the baggage of all his iconic roles and incredible actor rest He's in peace too good of an actor to not be t- I was taken in by it a yeah. little bit but I kind of knew because I like had read about the movie like or like I maybe I'd looked at the document before or something like that but I was I was like oh like I was kind of <laughs> bummed out but also he's like there's a little bit of a talent in the performance but he's just too good of an actor I, to not be taken in by him. Well, and I think the physicality, he's so physically threatening in true romance. And yeah. he feels imposing in this movie. Well, once, he's, yeah. yeah. Once you reveal his sort of true nature, I and, and I actually didn't think the, the, the final confrontation, 
he's very menacing. <laughs> yeah. Because he seems so much bigger. Well, he he feels like someone that could like beat the yeah. shit out of anybody, you know? Like, yeah. I wouldn't want to make him mad. Even though, for all accounts, he was like the nicest, te- te- biggest yeah, teddy right. bear in the yeah. entire and world. And a deep thinker and an intellectual. He's and... about to play one of his great roles, though, in Crimson Tide, where right. he's just like the yeah. biggest. He like, oh, like every time I watch that, that movie, one. I'm like, ugh, I punched this but, guy in the face. But I, I, I will say, I. In terms of Die Hard, like you have Hans masquerading as one of the hostages, and right. I think it's that the device oh. is used more effective in Die Hard because of the dramatic irony. Here, once it's revealed that he isn't who he says he is, I agree with you, Phil. I don't think it lands the way the movie probably wants it to. Um, and I don't think that's well, his and also, fault. Also, classic he's... in Die Hard, it's classic because there's like three layers of knowledge. The audience knows who Hans is. Bruce Willis might know who Hans is. Like it, it's re- that scene is the suspense isn't playing with our not like it's very McTiernan Shakespeare. Like I'm letting you in. The dramatic irony is all over the place in that. Whereas here, it's kind of like comparatively underdeveloped, I, which which I think is a good way to think about this the, in the, relation. The shame of it is that Ben Pinkwater is a more interesting character than Stefan. That's well, the fake persona is actually more more nuanced and interesting than the real guy, which is which is uh, which is a shame. Might be but... almost interesting if he just tags along and is kind of like the third wheel, and they're sort of like <laughs> as like the <laughs> asserts, like when they're making out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's a really interesting point because I do think his initial scene where they're walking around a pool table, he, for lack of a better term, blows Sheen off the screen. Like he just handles him. He's just so po- he's such a yeah. presence. Yeah. And you can feel Sheen trying to take the power back within the scene, and it's just not getting there. (laughs) By the way, the idea of a DA coming to interview him, like this guy who's like suddenly caught in this mystery being interviewed by the police and the DA, like that's so film noirish. Absolutely. That this guy shows up and like he doesn't. It's such an interesting prism through which to rewatch this movie and think about it because I really did love all those southwestern noirs and there was a bunch of them at this time like you were saying. Western noirs. White Sands was another one that I love and um, uh, Phoenix with Ray Liotta was an interesting one and and, and The Getaway was I think was in Arizona the the Baldwin facing a remake. Let's move on to the action. And, and you know, as we just said, see why this script sold, right? There's trailer moments. There's an incredible final set piece. What are your thoughts on this purely as an action movie? Does this succeed on that level? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to give credit to Darren on this one. I think the action is exceptional. Like, I think it's it's ambitious. I think he chooses incredible locations. And more importantly, I think the sense of geography, where people are in relation yes. to each other as things are happening, is exceptional. And... I, you're a huge Tony Scott fan. I am too. But I think one of the reasons, just to use a reference, The Last Boy Scout, that movie falls down for me is I think it's the geography makes no sense. And I don't know where people are in relation to anybody. They just run around corners and they're in if different places. If you can places. hear that sound, <laughs> that's steam coming out of my ears. Listen, good luck yeah. with everything. Yeah. Right there. I know. But I think, that, I think there's a tremendous clarity here. And these, like, for instance, when Ditch goes to the apartment, I, I love that location. Yeah. I love... So I, packed with stuff. It's so packed with stuff, and it gives him an escape route. Uh, and, you know, the I love the scene where he has to parachute off of the the power plant. I think mm-hmm. that's awesome. And it's it's all practical. It's also a good example of you as an, as an audience coming to the same conclusion with the characters as they are. Like, this movie is really good about keeping you mostly on Ditch's level, even with the James yeah. Gandolfini side. But, like, in the action scenes, you're kind of moving with him. Yeah. yeah. And that, that final... This is uh, what we were talking about as it relates to Darren. Like, the movie just is so, so gleefully absurd. And there's a moment when, in the final set piece, when he pulls the lever on the uh, 
on the trunk and it breaks and you're just like where is this gonna go and he's like i have to get the key it's incredible and, and you're just like this is giving me what i didn't even know i wanted that sequence is amazing it's I incredible agree. like it's the best sequence in the film by yes. a mile it's so good and it's great that they saved the best action set piece for last i mean it's so preposterous but it's suspenseful in the moment yeah i just also think the craft is so good like when they skydive uh when the sun is going down Ugh. and like he I mean, that kind of photography is is so hard to get. And I feel like we've all been spoiled yeah. by Mission Impossible Fallout, like the when he the Halo jump in that movie, yeah. and like how it's this one long take. And like I think that that's impressive as a as like an audience member, but I'm also a little like always not super into like when I feel like I when I'm watching a, an action movie, I feel like I'm like, yeah. Like, that must have been technically difficult to pull off. And I think you see a lot more, like, a lot more of that in movies now yeah. where it's like, look, like, the jump in Dead Reckoning. Like, I saw that footage four or five times and I was kind of like, okay, cool. But, like, in the case of this one, it's like, wow, this is just shot and cut. Like, yeah. a craftsman shoots and cuts and, a movie. And, yeah. and it's completely, um, it's kind of like unassuming and simple, but yeah. I mean that in the best way where I'm like going on the no, adventure. No, and it's, there's a, you know, in Die Hard, the, the scene I always think about is when he swings in through the glass, the, the window, and he falls, and then the panel starts to pull him out. Like, mm. it just keeps escalating. Oh my God, that's the greatest moment in that movie. It's this incredible. This movie's full of, es like, little escalations that are, they're so smoothly conceived and edited into it. Like, the, the finale's, I mean, Chris McDonald comes out with a shotgun. Mm. I mean, it's just, there's so many complications it is it is impressive right and the movie's full of them all from the little set pieces to the big ones it's where the movie really excels there's a there's a small moment in the airport in an airplane graveyard that I think yes I love it's just they're on the plane there's machine gun fire and the only way they can think to get out of it is to go up and escape from the top and of that the makes me think of another great southwestern uh fun cult action movie Harley Davidson and, and the, the Marlboro Man, Man which yeah. had that great ding ding ding, ding 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 oh, that's the first time we mentioned it on the show Isn't we've it? mentioned it I think it's the same I think it's the same airplane great it would make sense but I'd never seen that location and it is so cinematic and so creepy and so interesting and, and weird so th this film does have a good sense of um yes yeah, spa spatial relations and and the the uh, iconography and imagery. It's a it's a it's a solid action solid action film. But that that end sequence is a banger. I do want to move on to the humor because I I have one specific question because we usually we skim over this section because well oh yeah there's some funny shit in it but this one is kind of this is fundamental to me and I have a question for you guys right so films like Die Hard and Speed are actually hilarious throughout yet. We never lose any sense of the stakes, or they're all, they're never like an action comedy. This to me is kind of more of almost like a comedy thriller. My question is, is there such a thing as a film being too funny? It's a good question. And anyway, I, I think go that's for a good it. question about like, tone. It's the, it yes. depends on the tone of the movie, right? Like, like Starship Troopers. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. Ding, 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 ding. Yay. We have to do it every time. Well, even RoboCop, too, <laughs> I think. Or RoboCop. Like, the humor's like, uh, uh, like it sticks in your throat a little bit. So the humor's like perfect. Or like the humor in, I think Lethal Weapon is a great example of this. Because Lethal Weapon 1 is funny when it's funny. And serious when it's serious. And Gibson is 
so perfect at being funny and and, ser- and like serious at the same time. But by the fourth movie, there it's essentially a Three Stooges routine, and I think they kind of earned that by that point in the movie's run. But like, it does feel like the especially by the fourth one, there's this law of diminishing returns in terms of the humor because you're like these movies had like a much better tonal balance in one, even three, which is not my favorite. There's a much cleaner tonal balance there. And I think to relate it to the thesis of this show, Dire to the Vengeance is really funny because the humor is rooted in the characters, whereas the humor in this is kind of Charlie Sheen shtick. Like, look, I'm Charlie Sheen. Like, I do my Charlie See, Sheen this thing. Is, and this is my sort of, my theory on this is, is like, yeah, it, it, it's such a difficult tightrope to walk to, as we've just talked about, those two movies are straight action movies that are very serious action films, but they're they're incredibly funny. Die Hard and Speed, for example. And some of the other examples that you cite, Lethal Weapon, uh, what have you. In this film, I almost feel like because it's so reliant on Charlie Sheen's, like, the film orbits him, you know, or you know what I mean? And because you're beholden to his persona and maybe to to his skills and maybe some of his limitations. And as a result, I don't think that you ever really take any of it that seriously. True. The stakes don't feel, it's kind of like, well, if the car falls... He'll make well, a quit. She's in the trunk, you right? know. And I know, I know, and 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 it's a brilliant sequence. I'm, but it, there is something about this recipe, and the balance of uh, action, comedy, and stakes that is such a delicate. It's such a delicate stew. Well, it's totally and I, and mismatched. I, I yeah. think there's a. I think True Lies is a really good comp for this, right? They're both capers essentially. Yes. The difference is, is I think True Lies has a very relatable entry point, which is Helen. She's someone that we all can know in our real life. You know what I mean? She's a woman who works by day. She's also a housewife. And then, but in this movie, you, there's no one that's relatable. I mean, these are all characters like- Yeah, no, you Vicksburg, would never meet them. Never meet yeah. them. And so I think the humor never feels like it extends from our experience. Interesting. It's kind of passive. And I, I, I will admit that, like, as much as I love the movie- it is fully exists in like a heightened reality where there's no like speed is on it's on a daily commute. We all commute every day. Oh, that's, yeah. Die hard, same thing. You're that's in an office point. building, you know. So there's also a muscularity to the action in like True Lies, and 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 once you get to the sort of third act in True Lies, the humor takes a backseat, and Lethal Weapon is the same way, that's and true. I think Die Hard is largely the same way. Um, whereas this film actually, by the end of it, it's it's almost like it's almost slapstick with it's that, so that sequence at the Russian um, ceremony where he's Good like God. pretending to make them salute and stuff, right? So the tone, the, it's like hot where, shots when the the car has been driving, but where it's parked, it has ended in in broad right. comedy, right. you know. So I, I just think it's an That's... interest. It's just an interesting thing to pull off because it, it, it's it is just such a it's such a difficult skill to master to to have a movie that's action driven have a lot of humor and comedy without it diluting or bursting the balloon as it were let me ask you this do you think if the romance between the two of them had been more effective it would have rooted that stuff or no so i actually wanted to talk about this this is actually something i wanted to jump back and talk about but the scene where they're like laying in that like remnants of a cabin and they find the bottle of tequila and she gets very drunk and becomes flirtatious is like the worst kind of early early 90s like lady (laughs) like the lady's just a damsel kind of writing like almost to the point where Charlie Sheen is like whoa (laughs) and I just feel like it's almost like I just found that so like 
kind of a betrayal oh, no, of the I character. Felt, yeah, it's a betrayal of the character you know? who we've set up at this point. I mean, yeah. it's interesting to this point because I think that would have helped, but they tr- they couldn't quite crack this code. Hollywood tried to because what what's happening concurrently with these action movies is the rise of the erotic thriller. And eventually these two think they try and marry mm. the two with films like Specialist, Fair Game, which didn't work, which was a Joel Silver. There's a couple things that work you know, in it, but yeah. <laughs> totally the sound work. off is good. Yeah. Um, with Cindy Crawford and, and, and William Baldwin, that was very much trying to marry a sort of steamy romance yeah. in the midst of a spy caper type yeah. scenario. Again, it's like Russian goons with Stephen Burkhoff yeah. playing playing the main one. They tried to do this, but it w- they couldn't quite get it right. Also, again, I think to your point, it's actually very hard to get the kind of electric chemistry that you get with, say, Keanu and Sandra Bullock in Well, in I Speed attest that Speed is actors. the most romantic movie ever made. So yeah, that, that hugely is a massive help. That's a really good point. I mean, I think that's a that's a really good point. It is really hard, and and I think Speed and and I, Romancing the Stone, I would go back to, yes. does that too, yes. where that movie never loses its stakes, but it's an extremely successful romance. Well, I also think that like, yeah, it's not about sex, right? Like Speed isn't about sex. The the relationship between them isn't about sex. The Romancing the Stone relationship is a little like His Girl Friday screwball comedy kind of like constant one-upmanship, right? Like whereas like erotic thrillers are inherently about like. They're not about. They're about power dynamics, and they're about. And they're like often noir. Means. They often they're have often their noir. roots in noir. So, like, they need to be a little more like psychologically dense than yes. this is, and so that's part of the problem. Is that tonally, I think sometimes this is almost a screwball comedy. And, and the other tricky thing is now that you're saying that, what's really difficult if you already have a character that is. Uh, by his nature, embraces danger and is then drawn into a world of danger, it's not quite as effective or relatable as an everyman well being said. drawn into this no. world and, and maybe getting kind of turned on by it in the way that like Helen Tasker is in, in True Lies. That's true. Or even, you I know? mean, North by Northwest, which I think yeah. is another great con yeah. for this, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I also, I do think there's the a one... Hitchcockian there, like, yeah, there is a Hitchcockian this. thing, it's totally. A, I think the, if I went back and looked at the original script and it's very clear that he was like, I want to do Vertigo, Rear Window, and North by Northwest. That makes so much sense. Yeah, it's very clear. Yeah. I think the one thing that I would say about like the kind of like a guy who embraces dangers. One of the things I like about the movie is Charlie Sheen's never scared to jump out of anything <laughs> yeah. because he's a skydiver, right? So it's almost like that. It's weirdly like pedestrian, his job for him at the beginning. And it only, you know, it's kind yeah. of like when she falls out of the plane, he just dives after her to save her. You know what I mean? So it's like, it is, it, it, the, I agree with you. The problem is that his every man job is like extraordinary to most people, but he does a good job I, of playing it like an everyman. I, I also just, just to speak to that, I think, that's Sheen. I think it's also David Tui. And I think if you look at look at The Fugitive, it's like the lead character is a doctor. And that, spe- that specific trait is such a huge part of him being yeah. able to solve mm-hmm. the murder of his wife. But he does it again. And uh, Tui did this movie with Sheen th- just two years later or a year later, uh, The Arrival. The Arrival. Where right. she, she, he wrote and directed that. Is and Sheen like plays – he's a radio astrologist. Radi- right. He finds and, aliens. Yeah. And it's – if you watch the movie – he uses all the skill sets that are so unique to that mm. job. And it, it it makes the movie fairly fascinating. But even Pitch Black, mm. it's like you have a, a guy who can see in the dark. And that whole concept of that movie, he's the only character that could survive that scenario. Yeah. It's so specific. He low-key discovered yeah. Vin Diesel, too. I mean, he was in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. But, like, you know, he gives him this role. He's incredible in that Yeah, movie. and I'll give you one more. I, I, he did a movie uh, – Tui wrote, directed a movie called uh, A Perfect Getaway. Which, oh yeah. Which, if if you haven't seen it, is actually very fun. But the Timothy Oliphant character is a essentially a Navy SEAL. He calls himself an American Jedi in the movie. 
but the his set of the skill set of that role is so specific in the movie and i think it's just something Tui does in all of his work is he's very conscious of that it's not just i have a, a, a badass who's good at everything it's like no i'm good at i have this trait like skydiving yeah that that's makes cool. me that's perfect really to solve interesting this. Yeah, yeah and that is a good way to approach character and how character de- an action or character or, is action yeah, kind of exactly. thing so you're talking about that with, um, with speed we yeah. don't know that much about these people should we put on our tuxedos and uh I'm gonna put on my skydiving sky- outfit. <laughs> parachute down. Yeah, I'm gonna to the put Oscars. on my orange jumpsuit and then have someone else uh, yeah. <laughs> some have someone else sub, sub in here. All right. Let's do it. So we're moving into the action movie awards, aka the Die Hard Oscars. Um our first award is the John McClane Yippikaye Award for Best Line. Um I had three nominees, but feel free to add. Um the class, the one that ever, I think was most remembered for this film where Natasha Kinski says, I'd be stupid to trust my life with a walking penis, <laughs> to which he, to which Ditch responds, I'm much more than a walking penis. I'm a flying penis. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Then we have, um, which, yeah, 1994, guys. Would you, would you, I love that bit we were talking about before with, when Ben Pinkwater, played by Gandolfini, says, uh, would you like a certs? And then goes, don't take them all. <laughs> that, that was like great. Um, uh, and then the last one that I had was Ditch's attempt at Russian, which translates as, the buses here don't work. I am an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I, can I introduce one? Please. I, I've always, I've always, I, from when I first saw the movie, I always liked the line, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. Mm. That's a good line. I always liked it. That yeah. is a good line. It's kind of become part of the, yeah. the lexicon. I think yeah. I'm going to go with the flying dick line. Oh, really side note, I had a three-legged dog growing up. Oh. Ah. Mm-hmm. No way. So that's why. We connected with this on a whole different yeah, level. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm coming to that, actually, because... Uh, Okay, so are you picking, you're picking, yeah, I think that's probably the most memorable. Yeah, that's, most, that's the most memorable line, and it is somewhat self-effacing, and it kind of it kind of enca- captures the absurd tone of the movie. Uh-huh. And the fact, like, don't take any of this shit too seriously, yeah, yeah. even the He also pulls that line off. off. He pulls yeah. that line off really yeah. well. It suits, it suits his, his brand. Um, the Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for Stealing the Film. And the nominees are Natasha Kinski as Chris Morrow, James Gandolfini as Ben Pinkwater, a.k.a. Stefan. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles mm. as Noble mm-hmm. popping up, just like another legend, just like, you know. Casually in casually the movie. In the movie yeah. as the pilot of the skydiving school. Uh, Rance Howard as Chuck, the helpful biplane pilot that Ditch cons into helping him. And an honorable mention for Tripod, the three-legged <laughs> dog who may not have so stolen cruel. the film, but he certainly stole our hearts. Mm. Thoughts? I have a feeling Melvin Van Peebles ended up in this movie because he had Darren had just directed Gunman right. with Mario Van Peebles. I love Gunman. Yeah. It's Same like year. A, yeah, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. It feels so quiet. Interesting. Like, yeah. oh, I've never seen it. I've oh, never really? seen it. I'm aware of yeah. the filmography. Written by Stephen but... Summers. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. No, I like Gunman. It's a lot of fun. I This is hard, mm. but I, I think I have to go with Gandolfini. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go with, uh, my heart wants me to go with Tripod because I had a three-legged dog <laughs> named Calvin after Calvin and Hobbes. But my answer is Rance Howard as the helpful pilot, the helpful biplane He does pilot. have a fun little... Yeah, just because he's fun. fun also, but also, pop. you know, maybe Melvin Van Peebles being a legend is the right choice because he just kind of shows up for I th- four I think, minutes. I think Gandolfini, it, it, for me, would mm. be my pick just because, yeah, he does show... The one thing is he's like a major character and... in the movie, so I, I take a little issue with this. Can, can the major character steal the movie? The rule is anyone except the lead. 
Okay. Well, no. Let's get we'll get I, out the Die Hard on a blank rule book. <laughs> Section seven A. Fucking wrote it. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the movie. And I only have two nominees, but so Tripod, I would, usually you're, usually you're really good at, uh, at pinpointing these. I've got Charlie Sheen as Ditch Brody, who is kind of a dick, <laughs> and Christopher McDonald as Kerr, the blonde angel of death henchman. Could could you think of any others? Or in addition to those guys? No, it not kind of feels like this film one. should be full of dickish characters. But there's not and that many people no, in the movie. No, yeah, no, there's only ten people in the whole film. No, and like really... McDonald has like probably ten lines has in the movie. Nothing to do. Yeah, it's, it's such a waste of very strange of of him. And this was a time. Just speaking about Christopher McDonald for a second, it it really did sadden me that he he has nothing to do. So he has to sort of over egg the, the over few apps, moments yeah. that he has, like when he he's firing the gun at that like refinery, and then he like smacks the gun because yeah. he's got nothing to. Do his character's got no. Well, you're also depth. set up to think he's the main bad before Gandolfini shows up. So like then it, then his role diminishes a but little. But this bit. was a year when he was in Quiz Show, like an Oscar oh, yeah. caliber movie. He'd been in Thelma and Louise and was very memorable in that. And 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 then Happy Gilmore, I think, is like two years later. Yeah, he was on a real run of doing some he's really vivid. Actor. I love him. He's yeah. great. I wonder if they if he was probably one of the top choices for the for the Gandolfini role. Mm. And then they were like, well, actually, yeah, let's yeah, put him here. We just got James Gandolfini. <laughs> yeah. He, it's, just a, it's just a shame he doesn't have more to do. I think he might pull off the Gandolfini role as well. I'm like, sure he He's could. much more chameleonic and like, you know, yeah. Gandolfini, as amazing as he is, maybe this is all hindsight, but it's like, he doesn't necessarily transform, right? As incredible as an actor as he was. Whereas McDonald seems a little more like, no, they do anything. And they keep giving him stuff. It's like the blonde hair. He's got his knife. He's got his red convertible. They set the convertible up well at the yeah. beginning of the That's movie. That's the I one bit of characterization that he that he had. And it's interesting that then he speaks with like a clearly American accent, and but he's Russian, but his American accent is suddenly perfect. <laughs> Dude, the accents are like so, all I don't know what is <laughs> so going, going on so there. Weird. But who is, who's your pick, guys? Yeah, Christopher McDonald. I'm going to go with McDonald. Too. Okay. Also, fair. the people, the soldiers, the, the Russian soldiers that keep uh, oh. saluting <laughs> Charlie. It's like, get it together, guys. Now, I don't know if your Marco Let's impression is ready to go, um, but he's waiting behind <clears throat> the curtain as we introduce the best death category. No more table! Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. I want to introduce I didn't a look new... at you while you did it, because I feel like in past episodes, that's been an issue. You can look at me anytime, <laughs> Rob. Do you have a favorite Die Hard terror thief, Rob? Ah, uh, from know, the from the squad there? I've always really liked Tripod, Theo. The three I like, like Theo. I've always yeah. liked Theo gets a lot of love on this show. Yeah. I love Theo. Yeah. The quarterback is toast. Yeah. He's great. He's so good. I think that guy's really good in the movie. And He's I, really yeah. good. I think he actually does a lot with that, with what is probably an underwritten I think role. he also invented that role. Like the kind of the smart hacker type, you didn't yeah. see as much before that. Have you guys heard of a film called Die Hard? It's pretty good. <laughs> All right, I've got three deaths. Um, uh, Chris Morrow's death that wasn't. Um, Chris McDonald's Hans Gruber-esque fall. Uh, yeah, another character falling to their death. Yeah. We've had about we've done like twenty-two movies, mm -hmm. and like ten of them involve that. Yeah. Um, and then the one that I love. James Gandolfini's death via windmill. Yo, that's it. It's that. Right? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I have to tell you, like, I when I was rewatching, I was like, the way that is shot, though, I was like, how did they do it? Mm. There's literally a shot of him, and maybe it's him or maybe it's a dummy, but getting sucked up, and they cut to it like. It's it's a wide shot. And you're like, how did they do that in the midst of the windmill farm? It's really impressive. Well, here's really what impressive. I want to say about this, and this is just me paying off in classic screenwriter tradition, paying off one of your setups. 
I wanted the Milo death from Last Boy Scout. I wanted some Moulin Rouge there. I wanted to see the shot of the windmill and the blood splattering. It's a PG-13 movie. This (laughs) may be the first PG-13 movie we've covered. That was actually trying to work that out because I think um, the only other one, Hunt for October is actually a PG, but it feels like an R because it's such an adult film. But I think this might be the, the, that might be my other issue with it as I struggle a bit with PG-13 stuff. That's not the Philly special. It doesn't go hard enough. It had to be R-rated, right? And they, the studio was like, we've got to turn this Cut into the a Cut the shot of Gandolfini getting ripped yeah. apart yeah. by the windmill and like, you have a PG-13. It's a great death. Very creative. Yeah. Very gruesome. I, and... I loved it, but I, I I am curious, like, if this movie started as an R, and, a, and you got to wonder in the wake of Speed and True Lies, like, why not release an R-rated movie? Or were they movie? going for a different... Were they trying to sort of counter-program, go for a slightly different demographic? Yeah, It's, right. it's a good question. It, yeah. But I, I... Yeah. It's a great death. We'll, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll move on to our final section... The Double Jeopardy Trivia Quiz. We'll be right back. We're back with our Double Jeopardy Quiz. Phil's going to ask us some questions. I hate this part of the show. And he's going to... to Rob, I guess you get to decide. Are we competing or collaborating? Uh, it's yes, 100% yes. your call. Well, we got to compete. God. Otherwise, we lose the stakes. Guy, I feel like, yes. Yes. Guy has seen this movie 40 times. Humor works against What was the name stakes. of the assistant editor on Terminal Velocity? <laughs> All right, this was actually kind of tricky because I'm having to adapt to some of the things that did come up in the show, but let me do my best here. All right. Um, did you have a Margaret Colin question? I did not. Oh, bummer. Um, okay, let's start with this one. In which satirical spoof of action movies does Charlie Sheen make a deadpan appearance as a helpful valet? Loaded Weapon. Is correct. Wow, you beat Boom. me to it. You beat well, me to it's it. Emilio Estevez, yeah. you know. Bruce Willis also makes a cameo appearance in a sequence that spoofs the destruction of Riggs's mobile home. How do you Lethal feel Weapon about two. Loaded Weapon? I love it. Yeah, I really? really like it. I actually thought about doing it for the show. That's another show that that might be a very different show. Yeah, um, yeah right. Rob, I'm taking no prisoners this time. I noticed. Yeah, it was so cutthroat. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. At one point in the film, Ditch drives a 1970 white Dodge Challenger in a homage to which iconic 1971 road movie. Vanishing Point. Is correct. We have stakes. Now that hurt it's my one hand. all. Yeah. yeah. It's one all, bringing us into the final. Dead <laughs> all right. It's time for Convoluted Corner. Corner, 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 However, supporting actor Rance Howard, who plays Chuck, is also the patriarch of a notable Hollywood family. Can you name at least three of his famous descendants? Should we collab on this one? Clint Howard. Clint Howard, Ron Howard. And Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard. Is Forgot correct. about that. Correct. So Rob, you gets, that. No, Rob gets that one. Rob gets oh. that one. I, I would also. And Paige Howard as well, by the way, who's also oh. an actress. There is also another familial connection within the movie. Dar- the director's brother plays Christopher McDonald's right-hand man. Oh, he, that guy looked familiar. That's Darren's brother. Okay. Wow. Has he been in anything else? Because he, he really did look like... The guy, the guy with the glasses who was smoking? Yeah. Is that guy? Yeah. That's Darren's brother. Huh. One of his really two brothers. really familiar. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. I love stuff like that. It's a family affair. It is. Do you guys have any final thoughts on this movie or 
Anything you want to talk about, Rob? Anything no, going on for you that you want to say? Or I'm thrilled. Want to shout out your dad who yeah. showed you the movie? Oh, man. We saw all these. He took me to see Hunt for Red October when I was way too young to understand what the hell that movie was about. I still don't know if I do. I'm confused. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> it's a labyrinth movie. plot. But uh, I would just say it's a pleasure to talk about this movie because it doesn't, in my opinion, get enough attention. And you can see the reasons why, but I think just on a technical level, it certainly deserves merit. Like, it is extremely well-made, and I think it is a worthwhile revisit. And I will also just – I want to shout out another 1994 lost masterpiece is uh, Martin Campbell's No Escape. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I actually put that in the lab. I uh, gave it a look. I gave it some serious consideration. It's a really interesting, yeah. really interesting movie that I liked a lot as a kid. It it's doesn't one, hold up. I know. It's one of those movies, though, where it's like – Ray Liotta, who I absolutely love, especially in this era, but always have, where it's like, is an action hero and it doesn't not work and it doesn't work at the same mm. time. He's like, he's really good in the movie, but he's almost he never like he's did in another a different action. movie. Yeah, it's, it just doesn't like quite click, who even though the movie is really movie? good. Lance Heinrichson. Yes. Who's great. The and cover the villain, is Ray Liotta um, with like a missile yeah. or something yeah, in his Ernie name. Hudson's in it. Stuart Wilson is who's the bad guy from Lethal Weapon 3, one of the best things he's ever done. Yeah. Uh, great Lethal Weapon actor. 3? Uh, no, in this movie. Oh, in this film. Okay. I've never the, seen it. I've never seen it. It's very Mad Max. And it, it is quite mm. it is quite diehardy, but it wasn't kind of quite enough. But yeah, I do dig this, that by movie. by the way, is why episodes like of this show cost a million dollars. We bought yeah. Phil a diehard well, lab. Yeah. It's a big computer <laughs> in it. And it's, it vanished like this one does, like this one did, but it has, and it's extremely technically accomplished. And it yes. just, I think it's missing like this. A higher concept, like mm. look at no uh, escape from New York. You're going into New York to rescue the president, and no escape. It's just a prisoner in a prison camp, mm. and so you're just you have a premise but not a concept. And yeah, so yeah, well said. Yeah, well, yeah that your is point good. on that is very salient. Yeah. Um, this right. is a really enjoyable movie. I had a good time watching it. Good recommendation, Rob. Thanks for it's coming and talking to us. It's great to have you on as a fan of the movie. We've been looking forward to this for a while to have you on. And, uh, you know, it's been been lovely to have you. Yeah, it's, I, I would just say, you know, working in the business, it's it's easy to get cynical. And it's. I will say that your podcast is every time I log in to listen to it, it feels like I'm, uh, you know, I get re-inspired as a fan. And uh, it's really nice. I really enjoy it. Thank cool. you. Thank you. That's wow. lovely to hear. I love that we're Aww. ending on a warm and fuzzy note. back at the end of every episode <laughs> to say that. Well, we hope you will come back. We we have a movie in, in mind for you that uh, we can talk about. But um, anything else before we um, say farewell? Uh, there was one thing I wanted to mention, but... You just um, cut me off. You just come. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, listen, uh, if you haven't, uh, rate, review, subscribe to the show. Most importantly, tell your friends, tell your dad. Mm. Tell Rob, tell your dad. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Liam G. Billingham. The show is DieHardOAB. Email us at DieHardOAB at gmail.com. No, um, no new reviews this week. Get yeah, on it, you, you guys. You can follow me on Twitter at Philip Gawthorne. Phil, all um, Phil does is tweet now. He's just tweeting. Just Xing. Just Xing. A lot of NFT there, content there, on there. There is, there is one thing I do want to mention, which I just want to um, give a shout out to my friend's podcast, my friend Andy Majorano, uh, who has a podcast called The Andyplex. Uh, we met at the Underwater premiere. He was a good friend of John Gallagher Jr., the actor who was in that movie and was, has been on his show talking about The Shining. They do a wonderful deep dive on The Shining. Um, and I was just on his show talking about Michael Bay's ambulance because I'm going to have to wait like five years to talk about it on this show and I just couldn't keep it in. Yeah, so you... check out the Andy Plex and my appearance. Uh, I think it's called Call the Ambulance, I think is the name of the episode. Um, Next time on the show, The River Wild. Yeah. Mm, you a fan? Oh, yeah. 
Cool. Dad took me to see that one too for my uh, birthday. Me too. Yeah. I saw it opening night. I think yeah. with my mom too because it yeah, was a big, I went with my mom and dad too. It's interesting because we're now starting to speaking of the the rise of the female action hero. This is a really important one because yes. this is the first female action lead that we've done. And by the way, it's Meryl Streep, the right. greatest actress and, of all time, and a great villain performance that was nominated for like. A Golden Globe. He's incredible. He's, He's incredible. incredible. Kevin Bacon, movie, yeah. yeah. And David Strathairn in the movie. It's going to be a great one to discuss, and we've got an awesome uh, guest up our sleeve as well. We Actually, do. Two, two guests. Two guests. Ooh. So we'll look be, out for that one. We'll be back next time with two female FBI agents, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. Love it. That was a lot of fun. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a blank. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.